Amen. How many of you love Christmas? I am a lover of all things Christmas. If you are not, I will pray for you. Someone said, why did you dress up today? I said, it's Christmas. I have all these Christmas ties and I wait all year to wear them and I uh, can't wear them any other time without people looking at me weird, so I wear them at Christmas. And so from now till Christmas, I'll be dressed up. I encourage you to do so also, but you don't have to. And so you just, you do what you, you desire. Um, if you've got your Bibles, we're taking a break from the Put Away the, the Toys series. We're going to come back to it in January. We're not done with it. But because of Advent, because of this season, uh, we're going to do, uh, we're going to jump into this instead. And so today we're going to talk about the season of waiting, the season of waiting. And if you have a Bible, Luke chapter 2 is where we need to go. Luke chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one in the pew in front of you, and so I'd encourage you to turn there. Uh, that scripture's not up on the screen, and so I'd, um, I'd love you to see it as we read through it together. But before we get into Luke chapter 2, I want to know, how many of you have ever celebrated Advent? Either as a child you were raised in a church that celebrated Advent, or at some point you attended a church, or even on your own, you celebrated Advent. Raise your hand. If you've ever celebrated Advent, not not a lot, some, okay. All right, thank you. Um, I have never celebrated Advent, so this is my first time, and I am very excited because here is something about Christmas that I have never done, and so I've been looking forward to this actually for about two years. I really felt like the Lord uh, was laying on my heart for us as a church to go through this season of Advent, and uh, I want to give you a framework for those of you who have never been in an Advent celebration or understood why certain things are the way they are. Um, if For those of you that have celebrated Advent, this may not line up with the way you celebrated it. As I studied it out, I realized that so many different traditions have come and gone since Advent began around the time of Martin Luther and, and the Reformation. That's when Advent really was first celebrated by the church, and it's grown since then. And every church really does it a little bit differently. And so this is what uh, I have found, and this is what I understand, but uh, the churches that, ha that follow a liturgy, a liturgy is just a written group of scriptures, a written group of songs, a written group of sermons and readings that uh, the church participates in from the beginning to end of the year. But the church year doesn't begin in January like our new year does. The church year actually begins in November. It begins with the celebration of Advent. And Advent starts four Sundays prior to Christmas. Advent comes from the Latin word that literally means coming, coming. It's a celebration of the Messiah. It, it's as if when the Jews anticipated the Messiah, it's that same anticipation. That's the tradition of Advent. It recognizes that Christ came as the Messiah the first time, and it celebrates all that that means for us, but it also begins to anticipate his return because we know that the Messiah is coming again. Amen. And so the Advent wreath that you see here in front of you uh, and the lighting of candles, again, began around the time of the Reformation, around the time of Martin Luther, and it was symbolic of Christ, the light, coming into the world. Um, some, have, some traditions have said that the churches did it because they needed to celebrate uh, or needed light. Uh, that wasn't a practical thing, okay? It may have created more light in the room, but the reason for the Advent wreath was so that uh, you could anticipate the coming. And so each week, another candle being lit, the light begins to build, the anticipation of Christ coming that first time and the fact that he's coming again begins to grow from the weeks ahead. Each week one of the candles is lit and then on Christmas Eve the candle in the center is lit and that's the end of the celebration of Advent. Now traditionally three purple candles and one pink candle <clears throat> are used. Purple is a sign of royalty. It's also a sign of penitence or being solemn. During Lent uh, the, the color purple is used in, in Lenten celebrations to signify repentance and suffering and self-denial. And so purple has traditionally been used. It's used in the Advent and it's used in the Lenten celebrations. Pink, for the third week of the, Lent, or the Advent celebration, uh, the pink candle was to represent happiness and joy or redemption. Uh, the Catholic Church many times uses that week to celebrate Mary. And so the pink candle 
has been used. And the white candle in the center then represents Christ, and that is why it's lit on Christmas Eve. Now, you may have grown up in a church that changed that or adapted that. Uh, many, because the Lent uses purple, did not want to use purple, and so they used blue, and some don't use a different candle on the third week, and some just match their decor. Uh, so if red being the decor here, we would use red candles, and that would be okay because it doesn't really matter, okay? So Advent in scripture is not outlined for us anywhere. It's a tradition of the church. It's something the church used to, to bring out the meaning of the coming of Christ and the meaning of his second coming and to teach generation after generation what that means. Now, you may have grown up in an Advent celebration and never fully understood that, and that's the danger. The danger of having these traditions and celebrations that necessarily aren't outlined in the scripture is that they become an end in themselves, and we lose the meaning behind what it is that we're actually doing. And so trying to give you a, a little bit of an idea of what Advent is so that, that the truth of the word doesn't get lost in it. Advent, as I said, traditionally ends on Christmas Eve and the lighting of the white candle in the center. And then Christmas carols are begun to be sung. Um, many of you maybe would just, like me, have a problem if we didn't sing any Christmas carols throughout the month of December. But Christmas carols generally weren't sung. Advent carols were sung. Like, O come, O come, Emmanuel. And the really, like, somber sounding carols were sung. And so uh, we've adapted that, and we do some Christmas and some Advent throughout the Advent season. And again, that's okay, because it's not prescribed in the Bible how to actually do this. And so on Christmas Day, December 25th, the church then begins to celebrate Christmas. And Christmas goes for 12 days. You may have thought the 12 days of Christmas was just a nice little song, but it wasn't. The church celebrates the feast of Christmas for 12 days. The song goes with the celebration of Christmas to teach the truths to people. The, my true love gave to me is God our Father. He is ultimately our true love. And he gave to us on the first day of Christmas a partridge in a pear tree. Now, if you know the story of the partridge, the partridge is a bird that when an attacker comes to the nest to destroy the young, will actually lead the attacker away from the nest. He won't try to, to fight the bird or fight the whatever animal there because the, the young might be destroyed or killed in the fight. He will lead them away from the nest and actually sacrifice his or her own life for the sake of the, the, the children in the nest. Now you understand why the church chose the partridge in a pear tree that my true love gave to me, because Christ came from our true love and sacrificed himself for us. Two turtle doves for the second day of Christmas represent the turtle doves that Mary and Joseph, don't worry, we're not going all the way to 12, brought to the, to the temple on the, the, the eighth day in accordance with the law. They also represented the Old Testament and the New Testament. The three French hens were the three gifts that the wise men brought. And the four calling birds, the four uh, gospels pro proclaiming or heralding the, the coming of the Messiah, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so all through that, and again, depending on where you grew up or what you look at, the symbolism and the, uh, the ideas of what each of those represents will change. But the 12 days of Christmas takes us through January the 5th. On the eve of January the 5th is the Feast of Epiphany. And uh, Janet taught me this when she was my secretary. She thought I didn't listen, but I do listen. It just takes me a long time for things to come out. So for those of you that think I talk and Pastor Tom doesn't hear me, I hear you. It's just I'm a little slower than you. And so you just have to keep saying it over and over. And eventually, we'll get to celebrate Advent like this. And so it took her 20 years to convince me, but uh, here we are. No, not 20 years. But the Feast of Epiphany, she always told me, you can't take down your Christmas decorations until January 6th, because Christmas isn't over till January 6th. And I always thought at first she was just crazy, but that's the tradition, <laughs> that, that you leave up the decorations until the Feast of Epiphany, because Epiphany not only celebrates the coming of the wise men, but it's so much more significant than that, because it shows us, it remembers that Christ came for the whole world. The reason the wise men are included in our nativities or in our Christmas celebration or in the story at all is because God revealed himself to Gentiles as a part of this celebration. And he used the wealth of their worship to take care of his son the two years that they lived in Egypt. That's a great story. 
And God wrote it from the foundation of the earth. And so the church uses that to celebrate, to remind us, or to remember the coming of the Messiah. Then the church goes into what's called ordinary days, which are days that aren't Advent or Christmas or Epiphany. And then they begin to celebrate Lent. Now, coming on Ash Wednesday in February, we will also be doing a Lent celebration. Uh, Again, I just felt like this is something that... uh, We needed to do. This is something the Lord led us to do. And so we're going to be doing that and explaining that a little bit more in Holy Week and Easter Sunday as all of that approaches. And then the church goes back into ordinary days until, again, the Advent season comes again. Traditionally, only the liturgical churches, churches that follow these, uh, these directions or these, these readings and sermons, and how great it would be if someone from Springfield would just mail me a book every week and say, here, here's what you need to preach this Sunday, and here's what you need to read, and man, that would take a lot of the pressure off and would make my life a little bit easier, but that's not how we operate in the Assemblies of God, and so no liturgical book is coming for me, and so we don't do that, but evangelical churches have begun to resurge or come into the celebration of Advent. Um, Many of them are coming in because of what they call the secularization of Christmas. And so to try to combat that, they are beginning to celebrate Advent. But can I tell you, uh, don't worry about what the world does or does not do. Don't worry about whether or not anybody else keeps Christ in Christmas. Can I tell you, most of the things that we use to celebrate Christmas, these lighted trees, are pagan rituals that the church redeemed because as people in the early church were coming into salvation, they wanted to keep some of their traditions and their holidays. And so the church redeemed them and brought them into the church and we celebrated Christ's mass, the mass to celebrate Christ's birth, and we just kept a lot of their traditions and added it into what we already had. So if we're gonna get upset about the world taking Christ out of Christmas, we ought to be upset with ourselves for putting all of this into Christmas. And so we don't have to be upset, we just remember Christ came. We remember and we celebrate it, not just at Christmas, but every day. So don't get bent out of shape if we don't do things the way that you thought we should with Advent. And uh, we're going to do it my way, our way. And so it might look a little different. But we've given you the Advent devotionals, those of you that ordered those. And uh, I ordered those specifically because I'm a huge Dietrich Bonhoeffer fan. Uh, If you've never heard the story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer and his imprisonment by the Nazis and his his murder and uh, all of his writings, just some amazing things that he's written about being a disciple of Christ and a follower of Christ and not being able to be silent as the Nazis marched across uh, Germany. And he's German by birth and uh, was in the midst of all of this. um, But he wrote this, this Advent devotional that you have in front of you. And his themes for the Advent season, each week there's a a different theme for the week, and his were waiting, mystery, redemption, and incarnation. And uh, we've also chosen that devotional, that, that book particularly, because he also has 12 Christmas devotionals. And then he'll lead you from the 12 days of Christmas right into Epiphany. And so if you want to celebrate Advent, Christmas, and the Feast of Epiphany, we've put it all for you in a nice little book. Well, we didn't, but someone else did, but uh, we led you to purchase it. And so there are no more of those available. Uh, You can buy it as a Kindle book. You can buy it on Amazon.com and uh, just look it up and purchase your own. But uh, at this point, it would be too late to get one uh, in your hands. And so as we celebrate Advent, as we remember the coming of Christ, as we look forward to his second coming, we're going to start today in Luke chapter 2 in a sermon that I've entitled The Season of Waiting. The Season of Waiting. And we're going to look at two waiters in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 21. It says, eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, this is Jesus, eight days after his birth, he was named Jesus. Jesus the name given him by the angel before he was conceived. Then it was time for the purification offering as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says, if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout, was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit of the Lord led him to the temple. 
So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you've promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations and he is the glory of your people Israel. Pretty good he got all that from a baby. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them. He said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall, but he will be a joy to many others. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul. Doesn't sound like much of a blessing that you'd want to receive, but... It was. Verse 36, Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. Now, the New Living Translation says she was 84 at this time. Many translations actually translate that as she lived 84 years after that so that she might even be up to about a hundred so years old. So either way you slice it, she was, in the words of scripture, very old. If you're 84 or beyond, I apologize, just reading the Bible. She never left the temple, but she stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. Listen to that. She stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, And she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. When Jesus' parents had fulfilled all the requirements of the law of the Lord, they returned home to Nazareth in Galilee. There the child grew up healthy and strong, was filled with wisdom, and God's favor was on him. Father, I pray that as we study your word together today, Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear what it is you're saying. Give us eyes to see what it is you're doing and give us hearts that understand and obey what you command us to do. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. One of the things in this season of waiting, and when I say the season of waiting, uh, you know, we're talking about the waiting that the Jews experienced for the first coming of the Messiah. We're talking about the ultimate fulfillment when Jesus Christ comes back again and sets up his kingdom here on earth. That's a literal thing that is going to take place as the scriptures revealed. And so we're in this season of waiting. But there's also seasons of waiting in our lives where the first coming of Jesus and all that he's promised us and actually seeing it come to pass in our daily lives, there's generally a season of waiting in there. So we understand what waiting is about. I mean, things don't always happen as quickly as we'd like them to or as often as we'd like them to. And so there's this season of waiting. And in the midst of this, we have to remember some important things. The first thing we have to remember is God dwells outside of time. That's hard for our finite brains to understand because all we know is time. We know that there's 24 hours in a day. We know there's seven days in a week. And as much as we would pray for the sun to stand still or for more hours to be given us, except for leap year, we're not getting any more. But God doesn't dwell in time. He doesn't have the pressure of deadlines. In fact, the scriptures teach us that that Jesus comes in the fullness of time. In Isaiah chapter 57, there's several scriptures that we could look at, but there's just a few the high and lofty one who lives in eternity. No beginning, no end. That's where he lives. Isaiah chapter 55, he reveals, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. My ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Peter sheds a little more light on it in 2 Peter chapter 3. You must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. So when the scripture says that God is going to come suddenly, that may mean something to him that means it a little different to us. 
Or when he says, I'm coming soon, that may not mean to us what it means to him. And it's important to keep that in mind as we, we look at these scriptures. In the book of Revelation, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. I'm the A and Z, if you will. The beginning and the end, says the Lord. I am the one who is, who always was, and is still to come, the Almighty One. I'm the Alpha and the Omega in chapter 22, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So at the beginning of Revelation, at the end of Revelation, these are the words of Jesus to us, to keep in mind, to remember. In Galatians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul writing to the church there says, but when the right time came, when the fullness of time had come, your translation may say, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so he could adopt us as his very own children. You and I, especially as American Christians, tend to view God through our human lens. We tend to view the word of God through our human lens or our cultural lens. And as a result of that, we not only misunderstand parts of scripture, not only misunderstand parts of the character of God and how he works in our lives, but many times we become frustrated with who God is or our idea of who God is, or we become uh, impatient with how God is acting or not acting on our behalf because we're trying to view him in a way that he can't be viewed. God is always revealing himself to us and we will never get to the place where we fully understand who he is. Paul tells us in Corinthians that we now see dimly, but then one day we will see face to face. And so the best revelation that you and I can ever have of who God is is like looking at your face in a mirror dimly. That's gonna lead to a lot of frustration, don't you think? I mean, even those things that we are adamant, that we are so right on these and that other church is so wrong, it's so dim right now. But one day, it will be clearly seen and we'll see face to face. I'm so glad that we don't have to have 100% accuracy in all of our thoughts and beliefs about scriptures. The one thing we do is that we have to be accurate about who Christ is, the Son of God, come to earth in human form, Son of God, Son of Man, gave his life as our sacrifice, and believing in that, putting confidence in that, and turning my life now over to him, I must do. And that's one thing that's not dim in the scripture. It's crystal clear. And what we do with that is all that matters. In John chapter four, Jesus himself taught that there's a time that is coming, in fact, it's now here, when true worshipers are gonna worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father's looking for those who will worship him in that way. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The person without the spirit, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, does not accept things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness. He cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the spirit. And so when we try to teach or correct people in the world who have not received the spirit of God about spiritual truths, to them it's foolishness. If you've not surrendered your life to Christ and given yourself to him and believed on his sacrifice so that the Holy Spirit can now come and take up residence in your life, you will not understand the scripture. You will not grow in revelation of who God is. And so you won't even see things dimly. You're just going to be in a fog. Completely. The point of surrendering our life to Christ is where we come into revelation of who God is. And there are way too many people that have all kinds of knowledge of the scripture, but have never committed themselves to Christ. And so they think they know a lot of things about God, but they're really in a fog. They don't know anything. Because revelation begins by the spirit who dwells in us at the point of salvation. The season of waiting, the season of Advent reminds us that waiting is not just a part of our lives, but waiting is absolutely necessary to our lives. Waiting is a design of God. Because if all we do is in our 
time-oriented, fast-paced society, we will fail to understand the character of God in a fuller way. So he chooses to teach us to wait. He actually commands it in his word several times. And waiting is a good thing. I don't know if you've ever seen a child who gets what they want when they want it. Uh-huh. They don't have any understanding of value or work ethic or character. They're immature, they're spoiled. And as they grow, they stay in that condition. As parents, it's good for us to teach our children the value of waiting, not in a harsh way, but in a correct way. I'm not implying in any way that waiting helps us to earn our salvation, but it's clear in the book of Hebrews that we will not become spiritually dull and indifferent, but will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises. Who are these that are gonna inherit God's promises? Well, here's how you inherit God's promise. Faith and endurance. That's a New Testament word for waiting. (laughs) It is. Endurance. Faith, believing that the promise of God is absolutely true and it's going to come to pass, and endurance, waiting for it to come to pass. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse six, it says, those who diligently seek the the Lord are rewarded for seeking him. In the scriptures, back in the Psalms, this idea of waiting begins. I'm confident I will see the Lord's goodness. Confident I will see the Lord's goodness while I am here in the land of the living. Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. See, the idea of waiting for us is just, you know, passing time until something else happens. But the idea of biblical waiting is not that. The idea of biblical waiting carries with it so much more than that. It carries with it the idea of being diligent, being attentive. It's not just sitting and being idle. It's being strong and being courageous. The book of Isaiah teaches us about waiting. The Lord longs to be gracious for you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. And now you've got to get the idea of waiting, of just sitting back and, okay, God, when are you going to do it? No, it has, it's about diligence. It's about perseverance. It's about endurance. It's about attentiveness. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, but those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They'll soar high with wings like eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. The book of Lamentations. The Lord is good to those who depend on him, to those who search for him. So it is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. Micah chapter seven. As for me, I look to the Lord to help for help. I wait confidently I wait confidently for God to save me and my God will certainly hear me. Every time you read that word wait in the scripture, you've got to understand it means about being diligent. It means I need to be attentive. It means I need to be obedient. It means I need to keep applying faith to my situation. Every time you see the word wait, it does not mean to sit and be idle and do nothing. That's our English word wait and that does not fit. In Acts chapter one, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Wait, why do we have to wait? Because when the day of Pentecost had fully come, see God dwells outside of time. And his time said, when the day of Pentecost comes, because I planned it this way from the beginning, and if you study the Hebrew feasts in the Old Testament, you will see how the Passover lamb portrays Jesus coming and giving his life for us. And you'll see how the feast of Pentecost and the celebration of harvest was the absolute perfect time for the Holy Spirit to be poured out on the believers so that they could be about the harvest and go and gather the rest of the harvest. Because Pentecost celebrated the first fruits. It celebrated the beginning of the harvest, not the end of the harvest. It's a picture that God had in mind from beginning to end. He doesn't make it up as he goes along. 
Your life isn't being written out or made out as you go. God has planned your life from beginning to end. Now, we may throw him a little curveball in our mind when we act wrongly or when someone else acts wrongly upon us, but God already knew those things. He wasn't the author of the pain in our lives. He didn't say, hey, let me uh, torture this one with this spouse or torture that one with this horrible parent or let me throw this one in this situation and give them this disease. But because we live in a fallen world where others' poor choices and our poor choices and sometimes the rotten foods we eat and the sin that is all around us, just leads to sickness, disease, decay, pain, and hurt. And God says from the beginning to end, I've seen your life and I will work all of it for good if you'll just stay trusting me. That's the season of waiting. So it's not just I gotta get through it, but I gotta learn how to get through it. I gotta learn how to wait on the Lord. That's why we come to Simeon and Anna because they teach us how to wait. In the story that we read from Luke chapter two, it began with the obedience of Joseph and Mary. As we talked about in Sunday school this morning, the reason that Joseph and Mary were chosen to carry and to parent God's son was because of their character. God knew they could be trusted. He knew they would raise Jesus in a way that Jesus would learn the law the way that uh, he needed to because the scripture tells us that even though he was God, that he learned, he was obedient to his parents. He learned the ways of God. He was faithful to them. He was raised right. And because of that, they bring Jesus to the temple, not only for his circumcision, because that was supposed to happen on the eighth day, but also to bring an offering for the purification of Mary because of her uncleanness of having a child. Now, again, don't get offended with me, ladies who've had children. This is the biblical, the Old Testament law, so you have to go back there and take that up with God and with Leviticus and Moses, if you'd like. But she was just being faithful and just being obedient. And as we talked about this morning, all of the, the things that surrounded the birth of Jesus and all of the confusion and hurt and pain and rejection that might have been with them as they traveled from Nazareth to Bethlehem and had this child and been basically on their own and wondering what other people thought of them. Oh yeah, there's that couple that had a baby out of wedlock. I mean, lest you think that God put a sign on their head that said, this is my son, so don't look down on these people, the majority of people in their day would have thought that they had this baby out of wedlock, and that would have been the stigma attached to them, but yet they just stayed faithful. They knew what God had done, and they may have been the only two that knew what God had done, and they were faithful. So they bring the child, they bring Mary for the sacrifice, and Simeon just happens to be there. What does the Bible tell us about this Simeon who just happened to be there? The first thing it says is he was righteous and he was devout. He was righteous and he was devout. That's important, write that down. Because if you are going to be a good waiter, we need to be righteous and devout. Those two words, in fact your Bible may say just and not righteous, just a translation option. Those two words are how we deal with other people and how we deal with the Lord. The term righteous means he was in right standing with people. He treated them rightly. His relationships were right. How he behaved towards mankind was good. He was just, he was right. But he was also devout. In other words, how he was in relationship with the Lord his God. So he was in right standing with God, he, God and right standing with man. He was just, he was devout. Both of those are needed. Sometimes we think that if one of them lacks in our lives, the other one can be made up for. Does that make sense? In other words, you know, I, I don't, maybe I'm not in, I'm devout toward God or I don't worship God the way that maybe the scripture says, but hey, look at the things I do for people. I help the poor and I do all of these things. I'm, I'm so good when it comes to serving people. I mean, I know that my relationship with God could be better, but I'm making up for it by, you know, being better toward people. Maybe more commonly, we say, you know, I, I know that I lack good standing with people, but it's because of the other people. 
Even though the scripture clearly says, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with all men, we like to blame other people for the reasons that our relationships are bad, but really most of the time it's on, on us. But we make up for it. If I just worship God more, maybe those relationships with people will just work themselves out. No, we have to work on both of them. We have to be in right standing with God and our obedience to him and our worship with him cannot be just our own way or our own understanding. It's according to what he's prescribed or who he is. And our relationships with people matter a whole lot. And sometimes, God, I don't understand why I'm not a good waiter. Well, men, Peter tells us that if you're not in right relationship with your wife, if you're not treating her as you should, if you're treating her harshly, your prayers are hindered. More revelation, please, Lord. And the Lord's like, no, you fix this one first. For right from the get-go, this guy Simeon, we're told he is just and he is devout. The second thing we see is that he knew the word of God. I'd write that down too. He knew the word of God. It's obviously he understood the scriptures about the promise of a coming Messiah. It's obvious that he had studied these prophecies because all around him, it looks like there's no Messiah coming. All around him, all he sees is Roman oppression. All around him, all he sees are empty sacrifices. Maybe he, because he's hung around in the temple so long, he maybe knows there's no Ark of the Covenant. There's no presence of God inside the temple. We're just going through a bunch of motions. It's not gonna happen. But somehow he latched on to the things in the word that he knew and he saw. And because he was just and devout, and he was in this for the long haul. Because here's what we, we think happens. I know the word of God. God says he's gonna do this thing in my life and it gets worse before it gets better. You ever had that happen? It feels like God's a million miles off. I mean, I'm being obedient to God, but God, it, it feels like you're far away and God says, you know what? I'm gonna see in the season of waiting if you will remain devout towards me when you can't feel me. Because if you're only gonna serve God when you feel him or when you feel like he's given you a fair shake, you're not really all in. And to let you believe that you would be all in would be harsh of God. Because one day, on judgment day, he's going to say, you never knew me and I never knew you. And so he's not going to let you live in that kind of a season. He's going to show you through periods of waiting whether or not we're in devout relationship with him. Simeon passed that test. Sometimes when we determine that we're going to do this, our relationships with other people just go and again, in this season of waiting, the Lord's gonna look to see if you're gonna do what depends on you to live at peace with all men or if you're gonna say it's their fault. It's their fault. It's their fault. Mm, this is good, isn't it? All right, the third thing. I'd write this one down too. We see that the Holy Spirit was upon him. That is very significant because the Holy Spirit hasn't been poured out yet. So anytime before the day of Pentecost where it says the Holy Spirit was on someone, that's pretty, pretty special and that's pretty unique because the Holy Spirit's not on a lot of people in the Old Testament. I think in the New Testament, we way take for granted the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We live in what the majority of people of faith longed for and we treat it flippantly. When Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled. Be continuously filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me ask us this question today. What are we doing daily to be continuously filled with the Holy Spirit? Because we are living in a time when the majority of people of faith said, man, I wish, I wish I could live when you lived. And we are so caught up with everything else, we don't have time to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And yet we wonder why aren't we're not good waiters. Because if you're gonna be a good waiter, the Holy Spirit better be upon you. Because God dwells outside of time. And he acts differently than we would expect him to act. And if you're just gonna go by your own understanding of the scripture, you are gonna be frustrated and you are going to quit. 
But when the Holy Spirit is upon us, he searches the deep things of God. He reveals things to us. He empowers us to keep going when human reasoning says, just throw in the towel. We need the Holy Spirit to be upon us. Most importantly for this last part, so that we recognize revelation when it comes. Good waiters recognize revelation when it comes. See, these do go in order. Because if we're not in right relationship with God and man, uh, we can't move on to step two yet. We need to make sure we get that before we try to move on. If we don't have the Holy Spirit upon our lives, we're not going to have revelation. If we're not being continuously filled with the Holy Spirit and having our minds made new on a regular basis, we are going to miss revelation. Here's the thing. Simeon, in a time when the, the word of the Lord was rare, that's what the scripture says. The word of the Lord was rare. There were no prophets anymore, except for maybe Anna, who we're about to meet. But from Malachi, the 400 years between Malachi and the birth of Jesus, there's nothing. 400 years. And how long were you complaining about having to have been waiting? Uh-huh. 400 years of faithfulness and waiting and nothing. But somewhere along the line, the Holy Spirit reveals to him, you're going to see the Messiah before you die. Now, I don't know about you, but if you got a word from the Lord today, someone prophetically said, hey, the Lord's going to do this for you, you expect it's going to be like within a day or two or at least a week or two or at most a month or two. How many years does he have to wait? We don't know. But he's an old man. And he's heard the stories about a Messiah coming all of his life. He's been waiting waiting, just being faithful, just being just and being devout, and the Holy Spirit being on him, knowing the word, trusting the word, going, believing it even when many other people didn't believe it. And then he recognizes a baby. What is it about Mary and Joseph and Jesus that sets him apart? Was there like a glow? I mean, did, did the Holy Spirit say, okay, when you go there, he's gonna be, she's going to be wearing blue He's going to be in brown. And so will everyone else. How does this guy recognize this baby? Well, the Holy Spirit was upon him. And some of us, in our season of waiting, I think the Lord brings things to us, but it comes in a seed form. It comes as a small baby, and we're expecting to recognize it with our natural eyes, and we don't. And because God doesn't bring the answer in full answer form and drop it in our lap like a nice Christmas present all packaged and nicely for us, we just stay in a season of waiting. And the promise of God never comes to pass in our life because we're not being obedient, because we're not being in his word, because we're not being filled with the spirit on a regular basis, we're not keeping in step with the spirit, we're just waiting for packages to fall from heaven and God to just do it for us. Because that's what waiting is, right? We just wait for Christmas. Count down the days, eventually it'll get here. No. That's not biblical waiting at all. And if you're not diligent and attentive, and you're not in the word, and you're not being filled with the spirit on a regular basis, you may actually miss the Messiah when he walks right past you. Because he's not gonna come the way we expect. Jesus warns this about his second coming. Many aren't going to be prepared for my second coming. I'm going to come and they're going to miss it. And we are hard on the people that missed his first coming. And we're like, how did they miss it? This was so clear and so easy. Jesus told them plainly, I'm going to be crucified. And he told them plainly and they didn't get it. But I'm going to tell you something. We are told things so plainly too and we miss it. We miss it all the time. But God is so gracious to us. And this season of waiting reminds us that we have a part in this waiting. We can't just sit back and be idle and do nothing. And so Simeon not only recognizes the child, but he speaks life and prophecy over that child so that it can encourage not only Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph are, are alone. They're probably at some point in this wondering, is this really true? I mean, Mary probably understands it's true, but I mean, somewhere along the line, Joseph's thinking, maybe there was a guy. Come on. I mean, I know I had a dream about an angel. Could have been pizza. Well, they didn't have pizza. 
could have been bad. No, they didn't eat pork. Whatever they ate. But somewhere along the line, maybe they were a bit discouraged about what they were going through. And the words of Simeon offer them life and peace and hope that they're on the right path. And the Lord will bring those things to us. If you set your heart to be obedient, the Lord will bring you the words of encouragement you need. But you gotta stay attentive. Because somebody may give you the word of encouragement you need and you may just dismiss it because you're looking for the full package. And if you'll recognize that word of encouragement and speak life over it, you'll be a part of that process coming to pass in your own life. And then comes Anna. Anna, I love Anna. She is a prophetess. There's not really many prophets in this time, but here's a woman who is a widow from the the tribe of Asher, which means she's from Galilee. And do you remember when they talked about Jesus being from Galilee and they said, does a prophet come from Galilee? No, because Galilee was like the sticks. Okay, prophets come from Judea, specifically Jerusalem. Okay, that's where prophets come from. There are no prophets from, so she's breaking like every law. Not only is she a woman, uh, she ain't got no part to say. She's a widow uh, without a husband. She really doesn't matter. Uh, She's 84 years old or 100 years old. She's old and in the midst, with everything against her, she's from Galilee. She She just does it. She's faithful to fast and pray and be in the temple day and night. Fast and pray. So when you're 84 or 100 years old, you can tell me, you know, I'm done. I, what can I do? You could be Anna. You could be Anna just going faithfully through your life, fasting and praying, seeking the Lord, blessing those who come in and out of your life. And the moment she walks by, she hears what Simeon says and she just jumps on this. <laughs> Look at what the scripture says. She comes along and she begins praising God. She just begins praising God. It takes so much to get us excited enough to just praise the Lord. She saw a baby and she praised God. Well, God, I'll get excited and praise you when I see the end result. And we stay in a season of waiting because we walk past and we hear the word of the Lord being proclaimed by the prophet And we say, well, that's just a baby. What could he do to get us out of our plight? Well, that's just a small thing. I don't know how that's going to help. And so we keep our eyes on our circumstances. We keep our eyes on our problems. We keep our eyes on our lack. And we just stay in a season of waiting and waiting and waiting, hoping that one day when the doorbell rings, there's just going to be a package in a bow right outside. Are you still with me? You understand what I'm talking about? We must wait expectantly. Who does she go and talk to? She goes and begins to tell everyone about this baby. Everyone who has been waiting expectantly. So here's the thing. She begins to talk about this baby and they're like, oh, I don't believe a Messiah is coming. Oh, you're not waiting expectantly. Okay, and so she just goes to the next person. See, when we're to share our faith, sometimes we share our faith and we think, I don't understand why people reject it. Because if they're not waiting expectantly, share it and move on. Share it and move on. The seed that was scattered in the parable of the sower, only one set of four soils was good soil. Just keep sharing the good news about this child. When is the last time you shared with a human being about the good news that Jesus Christ has come to earth? other than your family. You want to be a good waiter? Start telling others about this Messiah. Start telling everybody. Start telling everybody. And only, don't worry when there are people out there that aren't waiting expectantly. That's okay. Don't get upset with them. Don't try to fix them. Don't try to convince them with these clever arguments because without the Spirit, they're not going to receive it. Just keep telling them the good news about Jesus and pray when their heart is open and they receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, they're gonna get the rest. Don't try to teach people how to live good lives. Then there'll just be lots of good people in hell. That doesn't make sense. Teach them to call on the name of Jesus. 
And until they do, that's it. You know, I, I'll teach you how to control your finances. If you just give 10% of your money to the church, then, yeah, they're going to be like, okay, sign me up for that. There are a lot of people without the Spirit that don't even want to hear that one. Did I say with the Spirit or without? Oh, yeah, I meant with, sorry. There are people with the Spirit. I See, I caught that. It's just I'm a little slow sometimes. There are people with the Spirit that have a problem with that one. Here's the thing. We are in a season of waiting. We're in the season where Christ has come and we're waiting for his second coming, but we are in a season where Christ has already set up his kingdom on the earth. The fulfillment of his promises are now. But if we're not good waiters, we won't see them. How do we become good waiters? We stay righteous and devout. We stay in right relationship with God and right relationship with man. We do this religiously. Jesus, it says in Luke chapter two, verse 52, we cut it short before we got to that verse. Jesus grew in favor with God and man. That's what it says. Jesus, the son of God, perfect sinless boy, grew in favor with God. Now if he had to grow in favor with God, yeah, we, have, we gotta grow and in favor with man. As much as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. Jesus ate with sinners. He ate with Pharisees. He ate with Sadducees. He ate with everybody. He grew in favor with both God and man. Not everybody liked him. But as much as it depended on him, he tried to live at peace with all men. Wait expectantly and eagerly for the promise of the Lord. Continuously be filled with the Holy Spirit and recognize God at work and speak life into it. The fifth one that didn't get put on there is tell everyone who will listen. If you're gonna be a good waiter and you're gonna see the promises of God come to pass in our lives, these are the things. Righteous and devout, waiting expectantly and eagerly for that promise, studying the word, knowing the word, believing the promise, being filled with the Holy Spirit, recognizing God at work, speaking life into it, and telling everyone who will hear. And so Father, I thank you for the plan of salvation that you started back in Genesis chapter three. God, when Adam and Eve fell and sin entered this world, you prophesied that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. Not only did you say it, but hundreds of years later, you prophesied it again as we read today from Isaiah 9. That light would come and walk among the Galileans, the forgotten people, the people out in the stick. And then you sent your son, born of a woman, just as you said, to walk among the Galileans as a light. You fulfilled your promise. You always keep your word. And so in this season of waiting, waiting for your second coming, God, we know that you're coming again. In this season of waiting for the fulfillment of your promise, for the salvation of our families, for the healing of our bodies, for the breakthrough that we need in our lives, for the victory over sin. Help us, Holy Spirit, to be good waiters. Help us to be in good relationship with both God and man. Show us what to do. Tear down the walls of pride that keep us separated from both. And help us to walk this out on a regular basis, especially when it's hard. Help us to be students of your word that not only know your word, but believe it. That the things that we read, God, we believe that with faith we latch onto them and we eagerly expect that they're gonna come to pass. That today could be the day that you suddenly 
show up. Today could be the day that that suddenly moment happens in our lives and in our families. And just help us to be faithful in the meantime. Holy Spirit, help us to to position ourselves to be continuously filled with you. To avoid the things that grieve you, to avoid the things that quench you in our lives, and to seek a filling every day of our lives, to keep in step with you, so that we can recognize those promises as they come into our lives in seed form. So we can recognize that breakthrough when it's still in the infant stage and we can speak life into it. Father, most importantly, make us proclaimers of your word. God, this Christmas season, help us to spend more time talking about the Christ child, talking about the Christ who's come into this world to save sinners more than anything else on our lips, more than we talk about impending snowstorms, more than we talk about the weather, more than we talk about our favorite sports teams, more than we talk about whether or not the Christmas has become secularized. Father, help us to just redeem it and talk about you every chance we get. Help us to be good waiters so that we can receive the fullness of your promise in our lives in every way. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to spend some time in prayer, either around the altars or in your seat, you can certainly do that. If you haven't been prayed for and would like someone to pray for you for whatever need you have, our prayer team will still be here at the altar for a few moments. We'd love the chance to pray with you. If not, God bless you as you go. Don't forget the concert with the Waldners tonight at six o'clock. God bless. Come